this episode of What's the Hazard is being brought to you by these incredibly generous true believers in workplace safety and health. And I am truly grateful for their support. Custom Concrete Specialists, CCS Group, and Cheyenne Wolford. My buddy Jim Cover down at the Nebraska Department of Labor on-site consultation group. Jim and all of his consultants. John Falowich and Falowich Construction Services. And our latest sponsor, Building Omaha. Building Omaha is a partnership between the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, the IBEW, and the National Electrical Contractors Association, NECA. They pair highly trained electrical professionals with industry contractors to ensure they're able to serve customers safely and effectively. Building Omaha, the partnership that powers our city. Learn more at buildingomaha.org. Thank you all. We appreciate your support. All right, now let's get into this episode. Uh, this is Doug Fletcher, and you are listening to What's the Hazard? It is January 28th, Friday. We're in Omaha, Nebraska. Cold, about 10 degrees this morning. It's a little chilly. Uh, a little chilly driving down. Yeah. But uh, things are supposed to look up this weekend. We're supposed to get a little bit warmer, so at least there is something to look forward to. Uh, and I'm sure there are many things to look forward yeah. to. Um, what Current events, let's talk about that. There are two things on my mind right now. Um, one is OSHA record keeping. For those of you that are required to keep records for OSHA, you know that we've got a deadline coming up here, February 1st. We've got to be posting our 300A, our summary form. So we'll talk a little bit about OSHA record keeping. And then I've got quarterly taxes due. Uh, man, that's always a nightmare. My, my record keeping, I, don't, I guess I shouldn't be revealing this perhaps, but my record keeping isn't necessarily the best. My financials and stuff, I have a really... A really good friend, a family member, actually, my sister-in-law helps me with that stuff. She's brilliant, so she helps keep me out of trouble. But at the end of the year, I have to pay, you know, my subcontractors have to get 1099s and stuff. And so it's always kind of a pain in the ass at the end of the sure. year, man. So we'll skip over that tax thing, and let's talk about a little bit about OSHA record keeping. Um, if you are required to keep records for OSHA, most of you probably are, and you're familiar with this system, just keep in mind a couple of things, just a few notes, uh, things that I have seen over the years that have been somewhat problematic. Number one, OSHA record keeping is not workers' compensation. They're two separate and distinct programs, oftentimes found in the, in the, on the same office or desk. You know, you might have to do both, but just keep in mind that workers' compensation is a liability-based system. Whose fault was it? OSHA record keeping is a geographic system. Did it occur in the work environment? So did we have an employee that sustained an injury or an illness in the work environment? And it's truly just geographical. The work environment can be a facility, could be a job site, could be a piece of equipment. You know, if you're uh, uh, traveling on behalf of the employer, doing work on the behalf of the employer on the road, it could be a restaurant or something for that matter. So it is a geographic relationship. And sometimes that's a hard one to to take if you're the safety manager sometimes some of the things that OSHA requires us to record don't sit well you know they they don't always make sense so just keep in mind because work comp denies something doesn't mean that it may not be OSHA recordable the other thing i would say is that um, there are consequences to recording improperly if you if you are a habitual under recorder and OSHA finds out about that they don't like that some of the biggest citations that I saw while I was with OSHA were uh, the result of improper record keeping. I was always the one to be, if you were unfor sure, write it down. 
Yeah. It, it, and then it, you can always reevaluate. You can always, and you, you should. Turn it in. That's great advice, man. And that's really good advice, Mike. Um, if you are unsure, put it on the log. And at the end of the year, when you do your review, you can always remove it from the log. Right. But yeah, you want to be careful about that. The, the downside of that is I know a lot of people that they record things simply because they want to be acting in good faith. They want to be good actors. They want to be doing the best they can. And they do record things that shouldn't be on the log. And then when we get to this point where we're doing our summaries, and then some of you are going to have to submit this information electronically. Yep. You know, we've got that no, the new uh, tracking application. So you have to, sub- some of you will report this information to OSHA electronically. They use that information to target inspections. So if your numbers are too high, your DART rate is inflated, you know, inappropriately or unnecessarily. You could get an inspection as a result of that. So we want to do the best we can with record keeping. Probably 95% of the incidents, maybe in your experience too, are fairly straightforward. And then you get a few of these crazy outliers. My parting comment is going to be this. When I was with OSHA, I took record keeping training from the guys that wrote this regulation. Okay. Jim Maddox, Dave Schmidt, two guys out of the OSHA National Office, put this regulation together back in 2002. They sent a bunch of us to Chicago for training. I spent five days in Chicago getting record keeping training, if you can imagine anything more painful. And, um, you know, so at that time, I knew record keeping pretty well. And we got hundreds and hundreds of calls about record keeping questions. And I would, Typically, we'd be able to figure them out. We could talk through them, see how the criteria applied and either recorded or not. Every now and then, you'd get a crazy one. And I would call Schmidt out in D.C., Dave Schmidt. I'd say, Dave, it's Fletch out in Omaha. Hey, man, what's going on? I got a crazy one for you. What do you think of this? And I'd give him this scenario. And he'd, he'd think about it for a minute. And then he'd go, hmm, I have no idea. What do you think? And I'm like, Dave, you wrote the regulation, man. What, you know, what were you thinking when we were, he goes, there was no way we can, con- we could consider every possible scenario. So oh, sure. just do the best you can. And that's my advice to people is just do the best you can. I think one of the hardest ones was, uh, preexisting conditions. Yes. Preexisting injuries. A guy goes to the gym, strains his back, comes in and th- in our facility through, throw steel. And then all of a sudden I have a back injury. And I'm out for 10 days mm-hmm. recuperating on the mm-hmm. back. And you're stuck with that, you know. So that's, that's a great that's a great comment, man, because those are some of the most challenging. Mm-hmm. Did an event or exposure in the work environment either significantly aggravate that pre-existing condition? That's a tough one. And I think I, I hate to be this guy, but I think there are times when employees aren't completely honest about some of those things. Maybe they... They feel like they would rather have the company pay for some of that stuff than have to pay for it themselves, perhaps. We had a, we had a really good one where uh, an employee complained about a back injury, and it he made the mistake of telling another employee that he heard it at the gym, but he was going to make the company pay for it. And so uh, going back, we had talked to the owners of the gym and got video of him uh, weightlifting and then holding his back after a bench press. Wow. Interesting. And so, uh, we used that for our evidence and then we went and talked to the attorneys and the workman comp people and they're like, Oh yeah, we're denying that claim. Interesting. So oh, that's was, interesting, man. Yeah. 
if you have those connections, you know, or just that's probably the most important part about being um, in tune with the guys on the floor. Yeah. You know, that they can come and tell you about stuff like that. Yeah. Whether it's turning in their buddy or whatever, but it's just coming to you and going, hey, so I, I heard so-and-so say this, and, you know, I, I don't, this is a good company to work for. I don't want to see them have to pay for this because it's stupid. Isn't that interesting? So I thought it was, I thought it was uh, um, very enlightening that yeah. you have that type of relationship. with It is. Well, floor. it speaks volumes about the relationship you would have, the trust that you would have. And the fact that the employees care about the well-being of the company, that's pretty impressive, too. Well, that brings me to my guest, Mike Froberg. We, we've known each other for probably about eight years, seven or eight years. Yeah, it's been a while. And it started, you were actually the safety coordinator at uh, Norfolk Iron and Metal. Yep. Which was an interesting facility, and we did some work together up there. Um, just recently, you took a new job. Yep. And in, now you uh, are... The August, I became the... Emergency Management Director for Stanton County. Interesting. And even before then, when you were working for Norfolk Iron and Metal for NIM, you were doing other, I mean, weren't you like uh, on like uh, the volunteer fire or yep, some still other? Am. I'm on uh, three volunteer fire squads are right you now really? running EMS. <laughs> so so are you like uh, a, an EMT or yep. a paramedic or something? Nope, or what EMT, are yep. Are you really? Yep. Oh man, that's incredible! So uh, you I'm are on the kind of the advanced side because I can do IVs and do airway and oh, all no that kidding. stuff. So, so you're just kind of a guy who is drawn to service. I mean, yeah. it sounds like. I mean, I that's love, just I something love that's public good. service. Yeah, that's cool. So let's go back to the NIM. Let's go back to Norfolk Iron and Metal. Really interesting plant. Talk a little bit about what the plant, what you guys did, and then let's just talk a little bit about your experiences as the safety coordinator. So um, I was at Norfolk Iron for 23 years in total. Started out as an order picker. Uh, what Norfolk Iron is is a, a it's one of the the nation's largest service centers. So what they do is they buy in bulk from a metal supplier like uh, the Nucor's, mm-hmm. and then um, they break it down and sell it by piece okay. to to different customers throughout the the nation. And then and they've grown exponentially over the last few years. So you were uh, dealing with, with like companies. sheet metal, tube metal, all kinds uh, of it. Yep, sheet metal, expanded metal, flats, angle, channel, beams, mm-hmm. um, big round tubes, rebar. Mm-hmm. Um, we they had a, uh, a decoiler, which is a, a coil oh, yeah. line and a temper mill line. Um, that temper mill line would use up to eight million pounds of pressure to flatten out a piece of coil mm-hmm. uh, to get it to laser laser flatness. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, there's some challenges like, there. Cut laser tables, all yep. sorts of different cutting. Laser tables and saw tables, yeah. um, uh, torches. It was cool. So it was, yeah, it was a lot. It was big. Yeah. And you had big shit in that plant, man. It was yeah. always kind of there intimidating. There was about 300 employees in that, uh, in that warehouse alone. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did was, you, I don't mean to get off track here, but how did you, you were mentioning the relationship that you had with the employees and, and the fact that they were willing to come and share information with you that, you know, that may, may I think some know, of how, that, how did you get to that point? Some of it starts with, um, I, I started out on the floor. I started out as an order picker and then worked my way up. So, um, for about 11 of those years, uh, the 23, I was on the floor doing something side so, by side with these guys. Yep. Order picking, uh, forklift operator as a shag operator, crane operator, I was a uh, lead man for uh, shipping and receiving. 
Um, I ran our rebar division for five years, um, then uh, worked maintenance for a while there. So you get to know a lot of these guys on the floor. Um, and then the last 12 years I was there as the safety coordinator. Um, so when I first started there, their their record was uh, uh, pretty good until they had uh, a fatality. And then um, I, I think, yeah, and you were there for that one. Yeah. Um, and then after that, it just seemed like it was like the whole air was let out of the balloon, right? So um, o- over the years, you know, they, they had uh, a lot of recordable injuries. Um, so we, when I first started, they had 16 recordable injuries in a year. So my main goal was to work with the guys on the floor mm-hmm. and then figure out, I, I want to reduce this by half, like I know going zero recordables overnight is not going to happen, right? So um, help me get this down to half. Uh, so we, um, you know, and we kind of had that relationship of, of where our training was at, what we were doing. Um, you know, working in a steel industry like that, there, there's a lot of things that can go wrong mm-hmm. really quick. So, um, you know, we did it. We, we were able to do half by the following year. And so that was just the goal. I'm like, no okay, kidding. so we got eight this year. Let's let's go for four next year. No kidding. You know, and just kind of take it, you know, it's how do you eat an elephant, you know, mm-hmm. one bite at a time. Mm-hmm. So um, I said our ultimate goal is obviously going to be zero. How that happens, it's going to take everybody, uh, including management. So, um, you know, my years there, too, we went through a lot of operations managers and general managers and um, – the management crew that they have in place now is pretty solid. Um, they're very supportive of the guys on the floor um, as far as the safety-wise. Uh, at least it was when I was there before I left. So, um, yeah, it was, it was pretty good. But I think knowing what that job entails on the floor and having done it, yeah, it's a lot easier for somebody to call out BS when they come up and say, well – I, I was throwing steel like this, and there's just no other way to do it. I'm like, I mean, yeah, there is. I will <laughs> show you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, will, I will get my 250-pound ass up on the forklift. <laughs> right, and, and show you exactly how to do it. So <laughs> That's a great point, man. That is a great point. And that is not true for people that come in with, with, without having had that experience. And, they and have to we, earn some. So, before, so I, I was on the safety committee for about 10 years there. Um, even when I was off of not being the safety coordinator, mm-hmm. I was a safety committee member. Um, and, I, and I had applied for that job uh, previously and got turned down, and they gave it to an outsider um, who used to work at Lindsay came in. And they're basically, their, their thought process was, well, we just want a different set of eyes. You know, you, you're probably too much into this. You're... Um, you, you know, you, you know, all the tricks, you know, all mm-hmm. the, 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 uh, shortcuts, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I took a lot of shortcuts, you know, I'm not going to lie, mm-hmm. but, um, the, the other thing was that, uh, you know, he didn't last but six months cause he just could never build that relationship mm-hmm. with the guys. He kind of came in and said, well, this is the way it's going to be. And if you don't like it, you can find another job. And mm-hmm. that's not how you approach the guys. Yeah. Understand. So, and appreciate that. Man. Yeah. So they. So he lasted about six months, and then the job came open again, and then I reapplied and interviewed for it and got it. And mm-hmm. I just said, you know, I'm not here to reinvent the wheel, but there's obviously a lot of things we need to work on. Well, so. I, you know, 
you, you mentioned knowing the shortcuts might they might have perceived that as a as a problem, but the reality is if you understand why the guys are taking shortcuts, you know, you can address that from their perspective, which I think is really important. It's hard to be it's hard not to be hypocritical or mm-hmm. like the guys going, you know, I for the first couple of years I was doing this, I would be like, "Hey, you, you can't do this." Are you kidding me? Like <laughs> you're the one that you, taught me. <laughs> yeah, you, I, we watched you do this all the time. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, um, you know, do as I say, not as I do, kind of thing. But yeah. uh, I said, yeah, and I said, no, it wasn't right. Mm-hmm. I said, I and I and I wish I would have had somebody in this position telling me that it exactly. wasn't right because I could have gotten seriously hurt. I got lucky, right? Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't taking shortcuts to take shortcuts. It's kind of how I was taught, mm-hmm. and then I just figured out my own way to do it. And you just learn how to survive yep. within that world of uh, shortcuts. Yeah. And it's, and it's like I said, in, in the steel industry, it's, you have thousands and thousands of pounds of steel moving over your head, not above you, not over mm-hmm. your head, but um, above you, around you, mm-hmm. forklifts moving all the time. Yeah. We're loading, um, the, the, they do like 30 some trucks a night, you know, up to 60 trucks a day. Yeah. And so it's, it's constantly moving steel mm-hmm. there. So, um, there, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. You block one little bundle wrong and the whole pile falls over, mm-hmm. you know, you don't hook up a chain, right. And you get a little swing in your spreader bar, mm-hmm. you drop the whole load and then you have to worry about your, uh, not just your drop zone, but where's that material going to bounce to mm-hmm. right. And where yeah. you're at. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a lot of, you know, and there's been times where I've had to jump off a trailer just to you know, miss avoid getting miss getting hit by a load mm-hmm. or something, and yeah. So, and I, and I know that's uh, that's the biggest common thing now too. Before I was leaving, they were worried about fall protection for trailers. Yeah, that's a real tough so, one. Man. We can yeah. talk a little bit about that, but that is a really challenging issue. So, at the end, though, I mean, you were talking about you know um, reasonable goals. How do we just reduce by half and just and keep chipping away at that? And you were able to do that, which is remarkable. How did, how did things end up for you when you were getting ready to leave? Uh, right right when I was going or leaving, I think they had uh, one recordable for the year, but that was after almost 800 days of not having a recordable. Wow. Um, That's incredible. We, yeah, we started a program called Acceptable Exposures, which took a, which took a lot of um, engagement from empl- not em- just employees on the floor, took a lot of trust. Mm-hmm. Um I said we had a really supportive management team, even the executive management team. Um, when I first brought this, it, it was a uh, a guy we we had talked about, or I got the idea from um, down in Houston. He was talking about being 19, and they worked at a um, nitroglycerin plant. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and he thought he was going to be the stud because they, they found that they had a leak in a line and you have to get your SCBA gear on for all this stuff. And, and before you go in and do anything. Um, and so he thought, you know, I'm just going to be a stud. I'm, I know where that valve is. I'm just going to run in real quick, hold my breath, turn that valve off and, uh, come out. And he did it, got the valve shut off, stopped the leak. And he was thinking to himself, man, I'm going to be, managers are going to praise me, you know, and this is good. Mm-hmm. And we, we 
prevented a fatality or a possible explosion. And he goes, I got back in and I got fired. Mm-hmm. He goes, because I took, I took that risk. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, we, we started out the belief of, you know, his main comment was there's risks every day that we take. Right. So when you wake up in the morning and you take the, a shower, does your risk go up or go down? It goes up, Always goes right? Up. You get in your car and you drive to work. Does the risk go up or down? Whether you're wearing a seatbelt, you know, sure, the risk is having an accident, but if you have your seatbelt on, there's a less risk mm-hmm. that you're going to get right. seriously injured. Um, so we kind of took that and, uh, and formatted it into our own program at Norfolk Iron. Um, so we called it the acceptable exposure program. And what we did is when we rolled this out to the, to the executive management staff, I said, there is going to be a lot of things that are coming up that you're going to hear. You're not going to agree with Mm -hmm. because it is, you're going to be like, what what the hell, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so explain that a little bit. So acceptable exposure, this is things that the guys were doing. So that they it, knew probably wasn't. So yeah, so it becomes acceptable behavior. Okay. Right. So it, kind of the culture in the facility. The culture, right? Okay. So, um, you know, a guy, well, just in better terms, a guy jumping off a trailer, mm-hmm. right? We know that we're not supposed to jump off a trailer. Nobody's saying anything about it. I got you. It becomes acceptable, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you're gonna stick your hand underneath of a bundle to put that piece of block in there instead of using a push block or something. And I've done this for 20 some years. Right. Mm -hmm. And I know that if I put my hand underneath there, there's a risk that that bundle could fall or the chain could snap or the cable could break, but I'm, I'm fast. Right. I can, I can get out of the way pretty quick and I'm not in there that far. It starts becoming an acceptable behavior. So, um, you know, I, when, when so you were asking these guys to share those things with you, right? So I so when we when we talked about this to the to the management team, we said um, we're going to do something a little wild. I said, and and you have to trust me because <laughs> I think it's going to work. So I said um, we're going to be able to eliminate a lot of risk, right? That that our guys are taking. So I said, you're going to hear about some things when they present it to us about the risks that they take out there. And you have to know that you're not going to discipline them for it. Because even though we know it's wrong Mm -hmm. and it may be against our policy to build that trust, we want to let them know that, Hey, identify the risk, let us know what you're doing, you know, but in, in addition to that, let us know how to make it better, right? Mm-hmm. How so? You're going to take this risk of sticking your arm underneath of a bundle. You know how do you how do we get to the point where you're not having to do that anymore? Do we have to stack the material better? Mm-hmm. Do we have to um, maybe have things preset in place before you you land it? Right. Um, you know what happens if uh, you know the bundle falls or your block comes out of uh, uh, alignment? What are we going to do to mm-hmm. to prepare that? Mm-hmm. The very first year that we started this program, we had 175 exposures turned in. That they volunteered. That they volunteered and told us about. Wow. And then so what we had decided, too, was that there was going to be a reward system for that. So if you turned in an acceptable exposure, and this, like I said, this is the very first year, mm-hmm. you turned in an acceptable exposure regardless of what it was, you get $25 gift card, flat out. Um, 
if and if you Did they have to give you a solution as well. Yeah, that was what you were asking. Yep. You. So on the form that we made, that was what your risk was, um, what level of that risk that was, uh, whether it be minimal or extreme. Okay. And if we ever hit the extreme category, work stops, and then we we'll go out with a team or a safety committee, and we'll figure out what to do, and we'll bring a couple managers out, and then. They were very willing to do that too. The managers were yeah. like, "If you have something that's holy shit, something's going to happen bad." You know, they're they're going to come out and kind of get their idea too. Um, and you you de- identify the risk, uh, give it a, a hazard level, um, what you're going to do to mitigate that risk, right? And then the, um, on the bottom of it was a time frame. Can this be done in zero to thirty days? Is it six to twelve months? Uh, or 90 days, or then over a year. Mm-hmm. And then on the bottom is, is who is responsible for it, a, a manager, operations manager, safety coordinator, um, or the employee on the floor. Mm-hmm. And this was all being submitted by the employee? By the employee. So they were the ones who was suggesting yep. it might take a year to do this, or yep. it might take so they So they would, they would submit this, to, um, everything gets submitted to the safety coordinator. And then once a month, uh, the safety coordinator... Um, the operations manager, general manager, processing manager, maintenance supervisor, and myself would all sit down and we'd go over this program. Mm-hmm. We would go over everything that was turned in. And then uh, you get maintenance involved because a lot of it had to do with maintenance sure. things. And then uh, the maintenance staff out there was amazing because they, they would see this and they're like, oh, yeah, we'll have this done. You know, it's, it's marked a year. We'll have it this weekend. We'll get it done. And so um, the reward part of it was we would sit down and then we would justify uh, the amount of the award. So, you know, if it was something that was basic maintenance or um, anything like that that was pretty easy um, or, you know, there was a couple that were turned in where like, no, this isn't you know mm-hmm. anything, but mm-hmm. um, it would be $25. But if there was a, a, a holy crap one and this saved a lot of injury or potential mm-hmm. worse, yeah, yeah. Uh, they got a hundred dollars nice. and a gift card. And so that, uh, in doing so, um, had eliminated all of our recordables for the first year. Wow. Uh, zero recordables, 175 exposures turned in. Um, this is remarkable. And management was very supportive because they got to see workman comp rates come down a safer facility uh, employees engaged more in safety. The culture was changing. You know, it's, there was a win-win for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second year, we kind of uh, reconfigured it a little bit. We're like, okay, so if you're going to tell me that you're still putting your hand underneath the bundle, now we have a behavior. It's not so much a culture mm-hmm. out there or an acceptable risk. It's right. you're doing something wrong because we've already talked about this and we've right. already mitigated it. Yeah, um, Yeah, that's a great that's a very subtle but important uh, difference between those two because, as you said, if you are having people submit these acceptable exposures, this is how we do our work because we get our work done more efficiently or faster, whatever it is, it's more comfortable to do it this way, but we know there's a, an exposure here, a hazard. It, it's part of our you know, local culture. It's mm-hmm. part of the, you know, the group dynamic. Um, and there are, those things are going on in every facility. Oh yeah. So it's, to get them to reveal that initially is really amazing. I, I mean, my mouth is hanging open because that's so impressive. 
Uh, but then, as you said, once we've identified it, once we've made attempts to mitigate it based on your suggestions, um, and it continues, then we've kind of crossed that line. Yep. From this is the, this is like acceptable culturally within our facility to, as you've said, now you're you're basically choosing to behave inappropriately. And we've and we've uh, we've changed a lot of our training based mm-hmm. on that, you mm-hmm. know. And it's it's it was uh, amazing to see where you have a uh, order picker. Um, doing something just totally off the wall, right? And now we know, hey, mm-hmm. based on the experiences that we've had, what a, what the risks that were turned in, <coughs> excuse me, and um, and uh, how how you wanted to mitigate that, we have to train that now, right? Mm-hmm. So of course, um, all of the training, so a lot of the training documentation got replaced with. Hey, so this is an acceptable exposure. We did it all for our uh, new hire orientation too. Mm-hmm. We talked about the acceptable exposure program because mm-hmm. it was that important to everybody on the floor to know that even when you're coming in as a new employee, hey, we care so much about your safety that if you feel that you're unsafe in something, we have an open door policy for a reason, right? And you can tell any type of manager and they're not going to be like, just get back to work. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to sit down and listen to you. And if you need help filling out a form, the managers were actually sitting down and saying, Hey, that's a really good idea. You need to fill this out. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, cause we want to make sure that you get credit for that. Yeah. And so, um, so was uh, this something that you did from the beginning when you first took over the safety coordinator oh, role, no. or this is something that you basically evolved into. So as you were bringing those, those uh, recordables down each year, this is kind of what got you into that that home stretch zero. Yep. So so it was it was probably in the last. Um, I we started it in like 2018 because mm-hmm. 2018 we had a really bad year, mm-hmm. um, and so we we kind of formulated this plan at the end of the year mm-hmm. and saying hey this this is enough like right. you know that we're taking risks out there right we need your help on the management side and on the employee side. Mm-hmm. And we had a, that discussion with everybody. And the the good thing about it is we had, um, so there's security vi- cameras all over in a place like that. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, um, you know, th- there's a lot of employees who are like, well, you're just big brother watching out for us. I'm like, no, that's not the case. It's We have a lot of accidents. And so we went up to get high, high def cameras in every place so we could, catch them on film having the accidents and we can study that and then we can learn from it um so we had a montage of film at the end of the year at the end of 18 and uh when we started this program in 19 we we pulled up all those videos we're like hey so and so did this you know you're not supposed to do that Mm -hmm. you know and so this is the program that we're going to start and then uh so yeah we started that program in 2019 so you weren't necessarily using that video to go out and punish people. No. And and I mean, so and it was really interesting because uh we had a supervisor uh that was on two of our videos doing something that he shouldn't have been doing. Mm-hmm. And uh you know and I, and that was the one of the driving factors too. I'm like, "Hey, so if you if you're going to have somebody in a leadership position taking these shortcuts, doing the stuff like this, you know, what's that tell the yellow hat? Absolutely. Right next to you." Or the general employee, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's well. If the supervisor can get away with it, of course, I sure as hell can. 
course. Right. And so, um, must be acceptable, you know, and you know, so we had, um, uh, one of the supervisors uh, is still a really good friend of mine was in my wedding. We were friends. We've been friends for 30 years. Um, what got me one day was I watched him almost get killed on camera because he was, um, they, they were loading sheets. Uh, a crane operator is bringing over a load of sheets and they were, they were going to be, uh, putting it in a, in a bundle straightener because the customer wanted, um, completely squared bundles. And so he's watching his paperwork and then he's kind of watching a truck back in. Well, a new crane operator, um, probably a couple months in yet. still really not really signed off even, uh, started to get a little swing in the bundle and kind of just froze. Right. Uh, bundle swung and came down and James was lucky enough to, to run out of the way. And so I had, uh, you know, that got me thinking like, man, I, I almost lost a friend here, you know, and I, and I pulled him in my office. I'm like, dude, you've got to pay attention. Like you've been at this as long as I have, Mm -hmm. you know, I was your crane operator when you were a sheet loader and this, this right here, that scares the death out of of me. Yeah. And I, and I've, he's my neighbor behind me. You know, so it's like he, I'm like I, I'm I'm gonna miss those barbecues when you right. want to bring down something that you're smoking, right? Um, but uh, I said I, I've watched we've watched our kids grow up together, mm-hmm. you know, and we, we know each other's families and we're, we're really good friends. And I said I this scared me, mm-hmm. like it it got me um, mad at, at one point right. that you would take right. that risk, right. but um, so. We started playing that in the break room, just the on, video? A, on a loop. No shit. Like, I, and I don't. I didn't even care who saw it, whether it was a manager, a new employee, seasoned employee, a truck driver, commercial mm-hmm. driver that came in, vendors that came in, com- customers mm-hmm. that came in. You know, because the customers too. You know, this is the risk that some of these guys are taking to get your product to you. Right. Um, that was an eye-opening experience for a lot of people on the floor too. Yeah. Like, wow, that that was that was stupid close. Stupid close. Um so you know w- when we had um started the program, we started playing all these videos. And my my biggest thing on there was, you know, I'm not playing these videos to call anybody out. I'm not playing these videos so you guys can go out on the floor and make fun of people. Mm-hmm. Um but you have to understand these are the risks that we're taking and we have to do better, mm-hmm. right? And then it got to the point where, oh my god, I don't want to be on Froberg's videos. <laughs> so, <I'll> like, <laughs> yeah, but you know, like, don't do anything stupid. You're going to be yeah. on the TV for the next week, right? So, um, Man, yeah, it's it I've was a good you, program. This is one of the most remarkable things I've ever heard of. First of all, just to be able to gain that level of trust within the workforce to get them to bring these things forward, remarkable. The program in and of itself, I think, is remarkable. I mean, because we know this goes on in every facility. Every facility I've ever been in, every construction work site, this is going on every day. People are taking risks knowingly, but it's become part of their culture. It's acceptable, as you said, uh, even though it's probably violating a policy. You know, probably the, the managers or the supervisors know about it because this is how we do our jobs. You know, and to be able to, I mean, I'm almost speechless, which is inconceivable, (laughs) but this is really impressive, man. And I've never heard about it in this level of detail. We've talked about it before, 
but I didn't truly understand what you were talking about. And just the fact that you can do this without um, rancor or whatever, without the intent of punishing people, that we truly just want to understand better Right. where these exposures exist and opportunities to improve them. And that's the biggest thing. You know, you have a lot of, you have a lot of uh, uh, business owners that watch your and listen to your podcast and watch your podcast, supervisors, managers. It is the most important thing that if you're going to run a program like that and the employees are trusting you to say, I'm, I'm taking this risk, man. I, I, and I think I have a better way of doing it. Uh, do not discipline them, mm-hmm. you know, th- and there's going to be times where the discipline obviously is going to be warranted, you know, but if you're trying to get this program and you're trying to change the culture and you're trying to get your program to, to this level one program, mm-hmm. right. It, it is imperative that you gain that trust of the employees on the floor. Um, and that was, you know, it was probably it probably wasn't the easiest thing for our super or our uh, managers to hear either. Mm-hmm. You know, and especially the owner of the company. Um, you know, and the 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 good thing about it is even even the owner uh, um, spent time on the floor, right? So, um, in all of our like facilities, working? like well, yeah, growing up. Oh, really? That was kind of one of the biggest things. Is like you know, you're not gonna. You're not going to run a company unless you do the work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, and, you know, the Robinsons are a phenomenal family. You know, I have a lot of respect for the Robinsons. And so, um, you know, Arnie's kind of running the, the show now, I think. But um, he was very instrumental in giving us the green light, right? Wow. So um, – he even came up and said, you know, this, this program's really amazing. We want to get it to all of the facilities. Mm-hmm. And so um, he, and he would even come down and, and talk to the guys, second shift, first shift, come down at lunch. And he was very interactive of, well, how many acceptable exposures did you guys turn in this month? Right. Mm-hmm. How many risks have you guys identified this month? You know, and keep doing it. Keep keep putting him in. Yeah. We love to hear about it. Well, he was obviously so, paid, he was willing to pay for it. He was mm-hmm. the one funding all of that. Yeah, and I think Good the first him. year, I think we, geez, we spent. I, I think it was up to six thousand bucks. Good. Right. So um, it, there was a lot of uh, stuff turned in, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was. It, it, I think it, they're still using the program. I think they were before I left. Mm-hmm. Um, continues to work for them. You know, yeah. and, it, and it just builds that, that uh, confidence with your employees and the yeah. managers. I hope it's still working for them. But I, I will say, though, that oftentimes programs like this that work are related to a person. You know, the fact, the trust factor that they had in you probably had a lot to do with this. And the whole, I don't want to be on Froberg's video list. Right. I don't want to be on the, I mean, those things, I, I hate to say it, but I think those things are oftentimes just related to the charisma or personality of an individual. And sometimes when that person leaves, you know, I, I'm not suggesting that it isn't working the same, but that can be difficult. It can be difficult to sustain things that are so tied to that, that individual, you know. So to your credit, hopefully it was embedded well enough that they were able to sustain it, but... I don't know, man. Yeah, I don't know. I, I haven't we'll really talked to much of the guys, tell. so I've been pretty busy. Well, I, I, I would almost want to wrap after that because that was 
like I said, this is one of the most impressive things I've ever heard. And I'd kind of like to end on that note, but I want to hear about the new gig. So tell me a little bit about the new gig, you know, emergency manager. Have you ever, have you ever drank from a fire hose? <laughs> I have not. I try to avoid that. I, I've drunk uh, out of one of those, um, what do you call those, beer bong things. Oh, beer, yeah. <laughs> that was a long time ago. <laughs> I want to make very clear, but keg stands, I think, things, those kind of things, but... Is that what it's like? Uh, yeah, it is. It is information overload, and I and you know, when you're in the safety role, um, your 1910, your 1926 standards yep. just become. I mean, I've studied this for ten years, right? right. It's like, hey, I need I need to learn about something about hazardous communications. Oh yeah, 1910, 1200. You know, easily rattle that off. You can't do that anymore because like, really, yeah, it's it's. Everything changes mm-hmm. all the time. You're, it's all based on scenarios. Mm-hmm. So, so as an emergency, talk a little bit about what it is. What so is emergency management? Emergency management has um, basically four uh, core criteria. Um, planning, preparing, uh, exercise, um, mitigation, recovery, mm-hmm. um, and what response. Kind of what kind of emergencies are we talking about? So any, any man-made industrial or any man-made or natural disasters, natural as well. Um, yep. So tornadoes, floods, Oh gosh. Okay. Um, stuff chemical like that. Releases, chemical releases, fires. A lot of, uh, a lot of emergency management is your, um, ability to assist the incident commanders on mm-hmm. scene mm-hmm. with resources. Like they're, you're their go-to guy. If the, the event is getting way more than they can handle. Okay. I'm, I'm the guy that has to get them other resources, whether it be from mutual aid agreements with other communities or uh, state resources or, you know, if it's um, like Pilger. I, w- I was the deputy director when Pilger got hit with the tornadoes. Mm-hmm. Um, and my job on the, on the ground was just to chase the tornado until it got out of our county and then do search and rescue right afterwards. Mm-hmm. And so um, the uh, – um, amount of damage that was there ended up calling in federal partners right so we had uh, uh quite a bit of response there but um you know it the other thing is uh a part of the emergency management gig now is um you're with a, a region basically for homeland security um so we're part of the northeast uh planning exercise and training okay. region uh, so we're we're responsible for doing all the planning exercises and training with all the fire departments and exercising our local emergency operating procedures. You have a plan, you, you create your plan, you you sit down and do a tabletop about your plan, then you do a full scale exercise on that plan, and then you do you know an after action report on what what went wrong, what went right, gotcha. Um, any changes that you would have to do, and it has to be done annually. But um, yeah, it's it's. Uh, the biggest thing now is is grant writing. I've never mm-hmm. really done much grant writing, mm-hmm. um, so learning how to do that, and then you have to follow the federal code uh, code of federal regulations two CFR two hundred. So reading through all those and and realizing that wow, there's, there's a lot more stuff in here than just <laughs> right. getting some money and getting equipment. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, it, it's it's uh, it's information overload. Wow, but um, it's fulfilling. Right, so it's it's a life of public service that yeah. that I've wanted to do for a while. Oh, good for you, man. Healthy pay cut, right? Yeah. So, but you you look at the freedoms that you have, and um, you know, and it's kind of starting from scratch on building relationships because 
a lot of people don't know what an emergency management does, mm-hmm. right? So, but you, you you've kind of had some of those relationships with the fire departments yep. and some of those entities already from yep. your previous and we life. and we have you know over, uh, so we have two core fire departments uh, within our county. Uh, there's one in Pilger, one in Stanton. Great bunch of people mm-hmm. uh, on both sides. Um, very knowledgeable about what they're doing and, and how to do their jobs. And then um, we have a smaller fire department in Woodland Park, but it's uh, a part of another uh, fire department in a different county. Okay. Uh, so basically it's like a station two to Hoskins. Um, so I run um, on EMS calls for all three of those within the county. So if there's a, a emergency somewhere and they need an additional EMT, I can go to those mm-hmm. calls and stuff. Do you sleep? Um, not much. <laughs> I was going to say, it doesn't sound like there's I tell time. you what, you know, you asked me what keeps me up at night, uh-huh. and it is the, are we ready? Yeah. Oh, my God, of course. Right. So, course. like, you're probably never fully ready for an emergency. Oh, no. Depending on what you have. No. But it's, uh, you know, h- how do you notify three to 4,000 people uh, about a, a, and what to, how to manage 4,000 people uh, and more because you're, you're going to have out of uh, out of county family wanting mm-hmm. to come in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we had that we had that in Pilger, right? So um, half the town of Pilger gets wiped out. Um, a couple of fatalities that we had there. Uh, we had called what they call as an all call um, right after the event, which means any available rescue fire department come to Pilger because we need help doing search and rescue through all the residents and homes and um you get you get that many people together and that i think that's where the most important thing comes where you you talk about a nims a national incident management system Mm -hmm. uh and an incident command system where you have an ic guy you have the safety and accountability and people that are making you a list of of what ambulance is going where with mm-hmm. how many people, whatever. Um, we lacked that in the very first hour probably. Mm-hmm. And so it was, <clears throat> I kind of go back to my dash cam that I had mm-hmm. on it. And um, I kind of use it for training for my own purpose. Like, okay, so we get here, this is what happened. Um, I was the first one on the scene with a state patrolman and one of the Madison County deputy guys. Um, because our current uh, sheriff's office and fire departments were dealing with another house that had collapsed from a tornado in Stanton. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, and I had, and at the time, I hadn't been through any of the ICS stuff, right? So I was just a storm chaser, spotter guy, mm-hmm. and then just reporting everything back to our EOC as I was seeing it. And, uh, you know, you get kind of thrown in as a baptism by fire type of thing. Of course. But um, I, I go back and refer to back to that. I'm like, man, there's knowing what I know now, like this whole thing would have been handled probably a little differently. But um, yeah, it's so taking all the ICS classes, you know, and mm-hmm. it's, it's, a, it's probably like your five days of doing training log <laughs> the stuff. It's, yeah, man. it's, it's, it's dry. It, some of it's a lot of repetitive stuff, sure. you know, um, but it's, it's worth it in the end. And yeah. y- you work with, uh, so I work with a, a bunch of different emergency managers in our region. You want to talk about a knowledge staff. 
that yeah. is is amazing. You know, you want to go to them and and just soak up whatever they have to tell you because mm-hmm. uh, they've been doing it for a really long time and they're very in tune to. Oh yeah, you you need uh, form two thirteen, right? Sure. Where do I get that? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> so or just who to talk to, who, what to talk about, what questions to ask. I mean. And I, and I kind of came into the role, you know, um, I was kind of thrown into the role because we, so um, they, they had an emergency manager there who was kind of part-time uh, guy for like 30 years, right? Um, and, and it tears me up because he, he put in his retirement uh, papers to, to retire uh, around Christmas of 19. And uh, a couple of days later had a heart attack. Oh. And so... Yeah. Um, as we were up at the hospital, uh, I was with uh, a couple of the sheriff's office deputies. Um, our uh, deputy director at the time, I was the assistant to the director, uh, deputy director, and um, you know I, I called the commissioners to tell them what was what was mm-hmm. happening and this is uh, going on. And they said, "Well, you're you're the interim director." Yeah. Right. So you well, have to. A, yeah. You, you got to call the state watch center. You have to notify them. Uh, we have to get a lot of things done. Um, so when I got in there, like their emergency operations center was in this gentleman's basement. Uh, so all the equipment and everything was down in his basement. So uh, a lot of stuff in his garage. We didn't have a place to go. Um, so that was my responsibility. Was trying to figure out. Okay, we're we're going to do an inventory of all the equipment everything out of the house, um, put it somewhere, right? So um, since I've been there, we've, we've um, started a small emergency operations center in the courthouse, um, updated a lot of equipment. Um, we're actually doing a lot of drone stuff now, mm. uh, search and rescue with drones. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we do a bunch of overwatch for uh, fire departments at a house fire for accountability. Okay. We can actually see hot spots. We can actually see where the firemen are going. Um, uh, we do a lot of uh, accident reconstruction mapping for the sheriff's office. Uh, so we've added a lot of this stuff. And mm-hmm. we're, we're able to now, um, we just got this thing called an AMV mobile box where uh, it hooks up to the Wi-Fi in my truck and it's live streaming. So whatever I'm flying on the drone on a natural disaster, um, people in like NEMA at the Nebraska Emergency Management Agency mm-hmm. can see it. Uh, our our uh, EOC operations center can see it. Commissioners can see it on their phone. Interesting. Wow. So and and it's a lot of technology. So I'm bringing you know 19th century uh, things up to the 21st century, and it was a matter of like six months to a year. So it was. Um, quite a lot in a little bit of time, mm-hmm. but, uh, that's remarkable, man. And it's the same thing. And you those know, tools we, are incredibly useful for what you're oh, describing. Man, it's, so it's you don't have to put bodies amazing. in those harm's way necessarily. Um, you know, we, there was a story down in Dallas, um, Texas where, uh, they were chasing a, um, subject. The police were chasing the subject and, uh, this subject went and hit in a tree line with a 30 out six. And it was over a hill, and they he was waiting for officers to come up over the hill, mm-hmm. and he was going to start taking them out. Well, they had a drone, and so they went over and flew over this person with the drone and seen exactly where he was. So it was a lot better for officer safety. Absolutely. Uh, and then they could communicate with that guy through the drone. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's situations like that where mm-hmm. the, the new technology that they have out there is just 
uh, way more safer for everybody. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so it, it's, uh, you know, we, we have a lot of that equipment and, um, we're starting to get a little more and more, uh, the biggest thing that I have is, is, um, a, a lot of support from our uh, commissioners. So I, I'm, um, responsible to answer to three commissioners in Stanton County and, um, all three of them have been on board. You know, I give them a, a quarterly report of what okay. we're doing, what's going on. Um, you know, and then to their, and you know, they, they don't, they didn't understand really what emergency management did either. Um, you know, a lot of people just think, you know, oh, it's, it's, it's storm chasing, right? It's, it's a guy that's going to tell us about the weather. Right. Um, but there is so much stuff behind the scenes that nobody else sees. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's uh, making sure your LEOP plans are up to date, uh, working with the fire departments, trying to um, acquire equipment, grant writing, mm-hmm. um, making sure that you're um, – all of your members are up to date on training uh, on ICS classes because right. if they're not, you don't get grant funding or you don't get federal funding. I see, yeah. So, do you have any benefactors, any rich people that like donate equipment and stuff or companies <laughs> or anybody that will occasionally? Um, or have you started so, asking? So I, I haven't really asked much. Um, we do have um, Nucor is within mm-hmm. our county. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very supportive of oh, uh, emergency response mm-hmm. people. They, and they have always have been. It didn't really matter what type of manager right. or what manager they had out there or what general manager they had. Uh, Nucor as a whole has been very um, supportive Good. of first responders and stuff yeah. like that in their communities. So, um, yeah, they, they've been they've been very supportive of getting us some needed nice. equipment from time to time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm not really the kind of guy to go around and ask for sure. handouts. Yeah. You know, if I can if I can make it work, we'll mm-hmm. make it work. If I can get a grant somewhere, terrific. You know, we we just got uh, we picked up a forty three thousand dollar grant from FEMA and the Homeland Security for putting in a generator. Fantastic. Uh, so that's you know forty three thousand dollars that our taxes don't have to pay or right. come up with. So um, yeah, it's it's very it's very uh, demanding at times, but yeah, it's a it's a you know I stayed I stayed up till probably midnight working on a, a hazard response plan. Mm-hmm. You know that has to be due by the first of March. So yeah. trying to get all that equipment oh, gathered yeah, up and resources. But Interesting. I, and the, the little bit of exposure that I've had to incident command and emergency response type things, it is uh, overwhelming. There is so much, particularly some of like these mutual aid agreements and equipment. Where do we get more equipment if we need more equipment? How do we coordinate all of that? It's it's just remarkable, man. And, and my piece of it has always just been as a safety advisor, you know, giving information about safety and health issues or something, just that small piece of it. Yeah. I can't imagine, man. It, our, our you're the perfect thing, guy for the job. Well, our our biggest thing now is, is uh, so FEMA wants you to have all of your stuff documented and tagged. So if you're at a, at a event, especially a long event, uh, you scan that fire truck in, and uh, it starts taking a tally of the hours that mm-hmm. that truck has been on scene. You're using uh, like QR yeah, codes or yep, some type of. There's a, there's a rapid tag system mm-hmm. that you that you print off rapid tags, um, especially after like a tornado or a flood. Mm-hmm. But do you do the same thing with the guys with the responders? How yep. long they've been on scene, and yep. what, you know, just keeping so, touch on that. And, th- and that's the biggest part of working with. Uh, fire departments too. And that's, I'm still kind of getting into that part of it. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I, I don't have a lot of time to sit down and train with the fire departments yet just because you're, you're kind of demanded to do all these other classes. And then you're you know, with the Northeast region, we're always traveling to a, another County mm-hmm. for meetings or trainings or whatever. So, um, it, it's, uh, you end up, you end up having their own card. Mm-hmm. Uh, they get an ID card. Uh, so you scan them into a scene or out of a scene. Um, and then FEMA, it, once you start asking for reimbursement for a large-scale event, they're going to want to know that stuff. They're, well, how, how, so you had this truck there for five hours. We'll prove it, mm-hmm. you know. And, you know, for the longest time, you're like, well, you just, you're going to take our word for it. Right, it's it. Right. Um, and now when you scan them in and scan them out, you know, everything is um, it's there on paper. It's hard to argue. Yeah. So um, trying to get that system set up mm-hmm. is a little difficult a bit. um you know and it kind of relates to uh you know my time at norfolk iron where you want to talk about trust and relationships you know you have four thousand people that need to trust that you have their interest in at heart and right. their safety at heart so um you know i we have an emergency management page on facebook um you know and and uh we try to put out a lot of information to the public using that, whether it be weather, uh, upcoming events, um, anything that has to deal with, um, you know, something that can hurt our residents either physically or financially, you know, the scams that are out mm-hmm, there and stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, IRS puts out a lot of things. The feds put out a lot of stuff that we share. Um, so, and, so, and some people get a little annoyed with all the information overload or they kind of question if it's emergency management's responsibility or not. And, you know, my, my job is to inform the public. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that, so whether you can agree or disagree with it, but um, it, it's going to get out there if it's yeah. going to prevent somebody from getting hurt or yeah. lose a lot of money. Absolutely. Um, especially preparedness. I mean, that that's the biggest, my biggest thing is I, I want people prepared. Right. Right. I want, want people to be able to, to make it through an event um, with limited issues. Yeah. Right. Well, hey, I, I knew that I had to go to the basement because, you know, we had a tornado warning. And, and I knew that after a tornado took out our house, I knew exactly what to do mm-hmm. afterwards because we were t- we were taught, yeah. we're told. Um, makes everybody's life a yeah. lot easier. Yeah. Preparedness is an interesting thing, you know. I, and having, again, been limited exposure to that, involvement in that, but being prepared for an event that, really is indescribable. You have no way of knowing what it might involve, the magnitude, any of those things. You know, you have to cover so many bases. You have to have, you know, there, it requires so much forethought, practice. Oh, yeah. You know, as you, you commented, drills, practice, scenarios, tabletops, you know, post-incident reviews, all of that kind of stuff. I mean, it it is... I'm overwhelmed for you, man. I that's just, the, and that's I the stuff that I'm that I'm trying to get in tune with because I I've never put on an exercise. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we've had training at Norfolk Iron, mm-hmm. of course, you know, a lot of training in um, CPR and what do we do if a bundle falls? You know, sure. the amount of scale that you have for <laughs> right. a, for a public event is a little yeah. bit different. You know, oh, and, yeah. Yeah, and, it's it's and the uh, range it's of responses, you know, right. people who know what to do, who step up, and people who freeze and panic, and everything in between. Yep. There, and there's, it's, 
probably one portion that I have never taken into consideration is the fight or flight with mm-hmm. people, mm-hmm. right? So, um, you know, I, I know that I'm going to have people that are not going to be able to perform their job because they're just, it's large. It's, it's too much. Scale. It's too yeah. much. Um, so it's, yeah. So I, that's the, that's the biggest, you know, and I know that it probably frustrates our fire departments a little bit too, because they're like, man, it's like, we need to do this training. Um, you have to put this training on and it's me telling them, I know we have to put the training on. I just don't know how to do it yet. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, I'm, I'm learning. Yeah. Give, give me some time. Absolutely. You know, it may take a year before we can get something figured out, but. Um, that's, that's the most important part too, of working with other emergency managers is, uh, they, they've done this before. They know the training, they know what is required and what needs to happen. So, um, you know, and they're more than willing to come down and help put on a training exercise. So the type of people that they are, that's what they do. It's incredible, man. I, I don't know about you, but I am exhausted just listening to everything that you have to do. <laughs> I'm, it makes me makes me. So I brought the coffee. Yeah, I was going to say yes, and thank you for the coffee, the Black Rifle. I appreciate it. I've been seeing and reading about it, and I see they're um, they're on um, LinkedIn. I see stuff that they post periodically. I'm looking forward to drinking it, man. Um, this has been incredible. I have no idea where we are time wise, but. I need another cup of coffee. I'm exhausted. Your sound man's sleeping, Is so it might have been a Very little good. too so long. So we went over. It was, <laughs> I have to tell you, thank you so much. Um, you are obviously a guy who is drawn to service. Uh, they're lucky to have you in Stanton County. This is really interesting stuff. And the acceptable exposure program that you guys implemented up at uh, Norfolk Iron and Metal uh, is something that every company should be doing. Uh, you know, it is. it was truly remarkable. I appreciate you sharing all the details of that. Um, I would offer up your, you know, a contact for you, but you don't have time to be answering people's questions. So, oh, I, I yeah, and I, and I can, I mean, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll get you an email. You can send me an email or I'll post that or something on yeah, LinkedIn sure. when we send this stuff out because that's a program everybody should be running, man. Everyone. It was remarkable. So thank you for your time, buddy. Yeah, we'll definitely have a, and I'll have a, you know, if you want the the, the piece of paper that we use. I would love to see it. I'd love to send that out too, or at least share what you feel comfortable sharing. But um, again, this acceptable, it's, it's something everybody should be doing. It was really, and, and obviously had really good results. So um, thanks. I appreciate your driving down. It was a two-hour drive down here to come here and share this. Uh, I didn't mention to you that there's no compensation probably. Um, I, but I know you're a giver. You know man. what? I heard, I heard, I heard that there was a pop machine. There is a pop machine. You can take, so, we can go fill up a 55 gallon drum right. with uh, whatever your <laughs> beverage of choice is and send you home with that, man. Thank you, Mike. Well, yeah, no I problem. It, I appreciate it. It was fantastic. Excellent information. Hey guys, I want to do a small business spotlight for you. Um, we have been working recently with a company called Wicked OSHA. Uh, Brent Colvin and his team have come up with a really useful solution for safety and health management for small contractors. Uh, It is an app-based system that helps you develop and manage your safety programs, your training, your documentation. I know this is incredibly challenging for small businesses like roofing contractors, small specialty trade contractors, and frankly, anybody that has a mobile workforce, I think this would be incredibly useful. So, Go check out Wicked OSHA. It's at wickedosha.com and see if this might be something that you would be willing to give a shot. I think there is a free trial opportunity.
And so um, in, in what I've seen of it, I think this is going to be incredibly useful. So go take a look at it. Thanks, everybody. Uh, we appreciate your listening or watching. Uh, man, this is really, there's a lot to digest here. So uh, give it a couple of listens and find your takeaways. Um, first and foremost, though, man, it's all about relationships. It always comes back to relationships. And so keep that in mind when you're out there doing your thing. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Later. Huda Media Production.